Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I'm East Forest. It is the new year of 2019. Well, I mean, it's the end of the new year. We're coming into 2020, depending on when you're listening to this. But I'm very excited to share with you another conversation I had. This is with Mona. Now, I'm very sorry. I actually realized when I met Mona, I didn't totally know how to say her last name, and I never asked her. It's either Hader or Hadar. Hadar. H-A-Y-D-A-R. Mona. You'll have to, you'll have to, we'll have to ask her. Um, regardless, with all due respect, she's an amazing woman because I, I, I didn't actually meet her at the SAND conference, but I saw her at the SAND conference. She was in a social justice, uh, or basically a panel. And, uh, she, she asked a sort of made a comment or a question and I think she's one of the presenters there as well and just sort of perked up my interest. And so I, I dove into her world a bit more and boy, is it interesting uh, she's a musician. Uh, she's she's an, she's an activist, a rapper, a poet. She's a chaplain. <laughs> uh, she has a viral song that she was well known for called "Hijab Rap My Hijab," which is a, a protest song that you can check out. And I'm going to play it at the end of this podcast. But uh, she just has uh, points of view that I are sometimes my blind spots in a sense that I don't have that same. Uh, you know, I'm a white male, and so I, I, this conversation was really good and helpful for me because it helped me really be on my toes about what do I think, what do I know, what do I not know, and just to listen. And more than that, I just wanted to get into her world and get to know her better, and this podcast is always a really great, great way to do that. So I'm super excited to share this conversation with you. Also, if you're listening to this on Tuesday morning, December 31st, 2019, they are cremating Ram Dass's body today at 8.30 a.m. Uh, Hawaii time. So I'm in mountain time, so that'd be 11.30 a.m. mountain time. Um, I'm just letting you know, in case you're listening to this right now, perhaps you want to take a moment of loving awareness to send it out to our dear Baba as he goes through that sacred ritual of cremation. It's been uh, a continued process uh, of, of grief and, and beauty as this has unfolded over the past week. And I really appreciate all the heartfelt messages from lots of friends out there and, and fans and community members who have, have sent messages of support. Thank you. Uh, but really, I've I'm, I'm been very humbled to see how the, the music and the Reworks album that we just released, which... Yeah, sorry. The re- that just came out too. The Reworks album has been a real support to a lot of people and sort of been a backbone and the soundtrack to this process that uh, we've all been going through in our own different ways. So, uh, of course, an unintended happening that that would coincide with that. But I'm re- I'm glad to know that that it's been able to provide some solace and a way to connect with Ram Dass uh, right now, right now. So if you haven't checked out the Reworks album, it's eight reworks that we uh, various artists were kind enough to do of the Ram Dass album. And on uh, the new ones were from Nick Mulvey and the album Leaf. But there are, uh, there are others on there and they're just incredible. I, you know, I was, When that came out, I, we were kind of wrapped up and just getting it across the finish line. And, and then when I looked at it, I thought, wow, this is such an amazing group of people. I cannot believe that these folks came together and took our 14 songs and added their own 
take on it. And, and so now we have this even larger grouping of stuff and uh, just incredible how it, it ended not just the 2019, but coincided with the end of, of Ram Dass's incarnation, his life. I'm still quite dumbfounded by it all, to be honest. Uh, but we, uh, Rada and I have been here in Boise. We had a really nice Christmas, just kind of chilling. I've been taking time to work on the studio. I'm sitting in it right now. I've been building all sorts of acoustical frame treatments, and I'm in the mode of, of doing all the acoustical treatments. So I'm not finished with that, but I think within a week I can have these things up, and we can get this thing, get this thing going. I've got the uh, piano here to my right. And I've got these wonderful 13-foot ceilings and some windows that are up high, sort of transom windows that I built. Um, and it's just been a joy to have a place to come and expand. And I've noticed any time in my life for the past 20 years when I would do anything in music that was sort of a step forward and it was scary, sort of like a leap that was bigger, investment in a way, it always ended up paying back uh, usually a lot. <laughs> uh, it's it, it sort of like taking that leap allows something to uh, support you. And I'm really looking forward to, to just being in this space and feeling free and low pressure and just more abilities to, to create. And other than that, um, because I'm crazy, I've been working on building a sauna at ex the same time. So I've got two big projects going on at once. And there was a covered patio at, at Rada's house and I kept looking at it and I saw missing my sauna in Southern Utah. I've been up here sort of wintering, basing out of this place. And I thought this would be not that difficult of a place to make a sauna. We just, you know, as I always say, it's not that complicated. You just put up four walls, it's a box, put in a wood stove, boom, sauna. It's not that complicated, but of course you have to put in every screw and cut every board and think through all sorts of problems and make a million trips to Home Depot and the lumberyard. And but I love it, man. I love projects. I've, I've done projects ever since I was a little kid. Whether it was a restaurant I started when I didn't know how to cook food, or the haunted houses I do at my parents' house, or the the block big hay structures I do with my friend Matt when we were little kids at his farm. Love projects. And I think that's why doing East Forest is, is good for me because it's always just sort of project-based. So this is my little project lab. And uh, maybe I'll give you a tour sometime soon on Instagram Live or something like that and show you around as soon as I feel like it's presentable. All right. Um, if you're in Boise, Idaho, I am playing on January 1st. 2020, doing an East Forest ceremony to kick off the year at 4 p.m. here in Boise, Idaho. That's at eastforest.org slash tour. And then after that, we'll be heading over to Australia. There have been a lot of logistics to try to make this trip happen. I'll be honest with you, it's pretty scary just going all the way over there and trying to make it work. And that's really what we're doing on this one. Props to my management team for helping uh, make this happen. And everyone over there who is helping make it happen. Uh, but those tickets are now all on sale and you can really help me out by letting people know, letting your friends down there, your Australian friends. I, I hope to see people that are in the community and we can have a really powerful, deep experience because that's why I'm coming, to fulfill uh, my own energy and, to, and, and help uh, cultivate yours. So looking forward to that. That's in February. There's uh, dates throughout the country. Again, eastforest.org slash tour. All right, let's get into this conversation with Mona. Here it is. 
What the hair look like? Bet the hair look nice. Don't that make you sweat? Don't that feel too tight? Yo, what your hair look like? Bet your hair look nice. How long your hair is? You need to get your life. You only see Oriental. You steady working that dental. You popping up at the lip and run your mouth like a treadmill. Not your exotic vacation. All right, so I was trying to ask you where you, where you are right now. Because mm-hmm. I know you're from Flint, Michigan, but where where do you where are you at right now? Yeah, so my where I am is always a big story. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm very nomadic, not by um, like purposefulness or intention, but just by the the nature of my life and um, what kind of life has been for me. Uh, currently, I'm living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is where I am right now. But, oh, beautiful. Yeah. It's, I mean, like when my husband and I sat down and we were like, okay, where are we going to live? And it's going to be our forever home. New Mexico was number one on the list. So we're back home for us. Definitely. It's where we How met. did New Mexico get on your radar? I mean, I actually <laughs> looked at New Mexico as well to live there. And I went on this whole like tour for two weeks, just, just, I mean, just to look for a place to live, to really like dive in deep. It ended up not being the spot, but I'm curious how that came on your radar or why. <laughs> That's a big story. Um, so it was just like four or five weeks before my 24th birthday. And my best friend had just passed away, my childhood best friend who I'd basically known all my life and she took her own life. Oh my. And it was just like crazy, heart shattering situation. And I was talking to this guy at the time and in my tradition, you know, like we, we talk to people with the intention of marriage. So it's kind of like dating, kind of like not, but we were, we were talking and this guy had sent me this flyer cause I was super interested in permaculture at the time. And, uh, he saw this flyer on Facebook and ended up sending it to me. Um, and it was for the Llama Foundation. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't end up with the guy, but I ended up at Llama Foundation. Um, four weeks after my friend had passed away, I just I knew I needed a change. And I was working as a substitute teacher at the time. And um, something hit me, you know, I was living in Flint, not fulfilling my purpose as a human being. And it was this like earth shattering experience of losing her and I found the cheapest ticket I could, $118 on Southwest Airlines from Detroit to Albuquerque, took a shuttle up the mountain on uh, May 18th, and it was uh, my 24th birthday, made it up the mountain in that shuttle, got off the shuttle, felt like I was on another planet. I don't know if you've ever been to the mountains of northern New Mexico, but looking- Yes, yes. Yeah, looking down over the gorge- it was just like, whoa, <laughs> this is, uh, I've, I felt like I've never done psychedelics or drugs, like heavy drugs like that, but it felt like a mind altering, you know, heart altering experience of looking out at that vast expanse. And um, <clears throat> something in me changed, you know, I was just like, this, this is where I'm meant to be. I was supposed to only be there for three weeks at the top of that mountain at Lama Foundation, where funny enough, you know, Ram Dass wrote, be here now with the community. Um, and Wow. <laughs> did you not know that? Oh, that's Well, I know about the Lama Foundation, but I, I did not know he wrote it there. 
Yeah, That's and so a amazing. lot of yeah, yeah, a lot of those illustrations came from community members at the time. They, oh my god! The, the, all the screen printing stuff came from people on the land, and so all of that was like a a co creation with Ramdas and the mountain, Ramdas and that community of collaborators, and yeah, just this heart pouring from that Lama Mountain. It's kind of like when you when you've been to Lama Mountain and you read Be Here Now, you're just like, oh yeah, for sure, <laughs> you get it. <laughs> okay, that's on my bucket list now. I thank you for letting me know this. I mean, this is beautiful. Okay, so you made your way there, and how long how long ago was that? Yeah, that was in two. Well, let's see, it was seven years ago, eight years ago. So whatever year that my time and space. Uh, understanding seven and eight years. Okay. <laughs> it's not that great. It's been a while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think it was 2011 or 12, and now I can't remember exactly. But um, okay, I showed up there. I got off that shuttle, and the very first person I met um, is now the person I call my husband. So. <laughs> Come on, first person. The very first person on my twenty fourth birthday, four weeks to the day of losing my best friend. Like it's it's one of those stories that like you tell people and they're just like, I don't believe you. Like, <laughs> like that's nice. No, that's beautiful. I, you've got a few things like this, I think, in your life too, because it seems like some of your notoriety has come from this viral nature of how things spread on the internet, which in itself is a form of. Uh, <laughs> there's an alchemy and, and voodoo and mystery to it in the sense of like, I don't know why this goes viral and that doesn't. And then what it can actually do to your life. No doubt. Um, you know, for you, you actually had some meat on the bone behind what your message was. So it wasn't like 15 minutes of fame and then, yeah, you know, it's not like some cat video. I mean, this is like <laughs> something very real and, uh, you know, and it's continued. And it's, so it's been a wonderful platform for you. You know, if for folks that are unfamiliar with, uh, your work, and they're just hearing this, and they're and they're just trying to get in. They, they might be thinking like, "Well, is there a way you could tell me like what your you would think your message is? Do you have a, a coalescence of what that is for you? Kind of like the you know, if, if you for myself, for instance, it would it would be like through all the different things I'm putting out there, it's sort of the glue that keeps it together is people diving into themselves and hopefully through that empowering to make their own choices that are more about connection and, and love in this world. And, but it's, you know, it's that inner journey that I'm hoping to propel. Mm -hmm. What would you say your message is? I mean, to condense it into like an elevator pitch. I love that well, idea because <laughs> it's, it's so, it's so hard for me. Um, or what are your passions? You know, yeah. what are the things that you find yourself? No, I, I love that challenge. <laughs> Don't get me it wrong. It is a challenge. I really love it. Um, I would say that most definitely it's answering the call of love wherever you are, uh, whenever you are. And for me, there's there's levels to love, and love is always calling to us. You know, capital L love is always calling to us to be our greatest, most beautiful, most generous, most kind selves. And the work, I mean, similar to what you're talking about, is showing up and answering that call and listening more deeply to that call and allowing... Um, <clears throat> Allowing, whew, allowing ourselves to get out of the way 
um, in our individuation, in our unique human experience to melt away and disappear and to to fall into and melt into that interconnection of the collective, uh, which is home, you know, so really allowing ourselves to answer the call so that we can arrive at home um, and feel held and feel the generosity of the universe and to feel the generosity of the divine. Um, and I think the more we, the, the better we get at answering that call, um, the more we feel it, uh, whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional, whatever the feeling is, um, I believe that we feel it. So I, I would say, you know, in two words, it's love always. Love always. And correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I'm sort of investigating this just by talking about it. So at any point, be like, no, that's not how I identify with this. Um, but you're, your message of love always is coming through your own process of your cultural identity and your your religious identity and how that fits into like the way you live your life. And there's there seems to be like for some people, I mean, that's sort of what makes it interesting in some ways. It's like there's a very specific sense of self and identity as a Muslim woman, even like that song uh, – the hijab song, what's the title of it? I'm sorry, it's not in front of me. Hijabi, wrap, that, wrap my hijab, yeah. Yeah, which really took off. Um, and that's such a, like that symbol of the hijab is a powerful symbol today. It's like a one of discussion and um, misunderstanding. and um, But yet you're, you, you, through that, you're, you're speaking about universality and connection and our similarities in a way as human beings as souls um i mean what's that like for you like is that something that's just sort of like well that's hey that's that's me that's who i am that's where i'm coming from but it also seems to be sort of conscious that you're like well you want to like put that at the forefront then that social activism and how it comes from your own walking your own life does that feel true yeah no doubt i mean i see myself as somebody who's walking a path towards enlightenment towards self-actualization whatever you want to call it um, and Islam happens to be my tool that I'm using to help me refine my ego and listen to the instructions of my heart. You know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, he said, seek the counsel of your heart, even if the whole world is giving you counsel, you know, even if all of those around you are, are giving you counsel. But like our our instructions are mission, our work in the world comes through our own hearts and nobody nobody can tell you what that is. And so for me, hijab is such a powerful tool um, for my own personal liberation. Um, I use it as a spiritual tool, like a practice similar to like meditation mm. or yoga. Um, hijab is a is a is a spiritual practice for me that I use on a daily basis to, uh, to I'm trying to find the exact language. It's, it's really to come to a deeper knowledge and understanding that I'm a multi-dimensional being, um, having this experience right now and that multi-dimensionality, dimensionality, if that's a word, <laughs> um, it's a word now, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, 
if if that experience you know like we live in a world that tries to is so obsessed with reductivism and reduction and reducing and here's the best way and here's the only way and here's the right way and i i believe that we all come with our own flavor and that we all come with our own hearts and that um the divine didn't do that by accident <laughs> and so I'm in a world that tells me that, you know, the liberation of women can only look like uh, nakedness and nudity. Um, and I, I, I just, that doesn't sit well with me as a feminist, as somebody who has, um, de- you know, devoured and dived into the depths of my being and sat in silence for so long. I know deeply and truly that, there are a million ways to liberation. <laughs> there are a billion, a trillion, an infinite number of ways to liberation and that no one can tell you what yours is. And I happen to be born into a way and a methodology that, you know, came from um, a certain culture that I was also born into that instructs me on how to live. Like I don't see Islam as a religion, I actually see it as a way of life and the word sharia. Fascinating. Yeah, the word sharia, you know, is is such such a boogeyman word in our society, you know, the zeitgeist understanding um and agreement on what Islam is is so backwards and so based in orientalism and racist um empire ideology and citizenship within the Roman Empire, you know, and Arabs were barbarians and um they were outsiders, they were not citizens, and they couldn't be civilized, you know, similar to Africans and similar to every every other culture that the Roman Empire um, basically colonized. And <clears throat> and so I'm just in the process of re-indigenizing re myself into the way of life. Like Sharia means a flowing water, the flowing waters, and when you give in to the flowing waters of your heart and of your life and you are moving in accordance with your particular heart's goals and work in this world, um, magic happens, you know, um, like you can go viral for literally just being yourself <laughs> and for not working that hard um, because you are not setting up these roadblocks of trying to fit into uh, society's ideas about who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be. So the fact that my song went viral, I mean, I'll be really honest with you. It was it was shocking because um, I didn't expect it to go as far as it did, but I knew I had made something beautiful. I knew I had made something that would speak to a lot of people. And I, I just, I hope that with zero budget, zero marketing, <laughs> that, you know, the divine would do what the divine wanted to do with it. And because I believe in an infinite and eternal divine uh, creator and source of love, I don't think anything is impossible. <laughs> so... Sure. Well, thanks for sharing, you know, such a nuanced viewpoint about Sharia and hijab. I mean, if, if I think this is an important thing to talk about, especially from my own perspective as being a white male growing up in America. And there is a lot of uh, 
mystery and misunderstanding. And I think especially for those who are progressive and and in these sort of universal spiritual circles, like a lot of the folks in California, like we were hanging out with at Sand. Um, I was in that talk. Uh, you were in the audience as well. I think it was about like, I don't remember the title of it, the panel. Mm. It was like Orland Bishop. And um, it might have been about like spiritual bypass or, or uh, I don't remember what the title was. It was about was, social was, justice. Was, yes, yes, social justice. Um, and it's a nuanced subject and one that I think is really worthy of, of talking about. And um, I remember in, in that talk too, I, was, I, don't, I don't know if they were talking about it or it came up in my mind, but I was thinking about this idea of spiritual bypass in a sense. And I don't know if that just comes from ignorance of us not always knowing what to do. It's like, well, we know the big picture feelings like, well, we're all one, really. But then how do we also honor our um, uniqueness and our histories and our culture? And I guess learning about each other, like the way we view the symbol of the hijab in some ways, some folks see it as a, a form of oppression or they're like, oh, you know, how can you be a feminist and and still support that? And what you're saying is, I mean, this fascinating idea of like it's a form of meditation for you. Like it's a form, it is a mechanism of awakening for you in a sense. It's one of the tools. Um, that's a beautiful perspective, not something I would have considered. Uh, I think these are, I'd just like to hear more from you about also this idea of Islam being a way of life. Uh, that's kind of how I would view like Buddhism in a way too, um, like a way to walk through the world. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find, uh, like what's that process like having sort of this larger spiritual view um, of connectedness and like non-duality mm-hmm. alongside um, using religion and and the traditions it comes with to like marriage marry the two things together is, is that a seamless process for you yeah uh no doubt i mean i see i see islam as a means to ultimate awakening because it is a, a way of life because it instructs every part of my life and it's not just a showing up on a certain day of the week or a an action that I'm supposed to take part in, but it's a cohesive, integrated part of every moment of my existence. And it's a challenging, um, it's a challenging path. Uh, it's, it's a path that basically, I mean, for those who've studied Islam, they understand deeply that Islam is a connective uh, tradition um, that doesn't just come out of thin air, that it's actually connected to all indigenous tradition, period. And that all, all peoples from all parts of the world, not just Abrahamic traditions, but all peoples were sent prophets, you know, from the divine were sent, you know, like I think about black elk and I think about um, Mary, and I think about how much they have in common. And I see them both as prophets, similar to how I see Buddha and Muhammad and Jesus. And, you know, there there's so much lost because we're not in the work of 
taking wisdom and not just simply commodifying it and reducing it and calling it good. There are so many like new age philosophies that are really hell-bent on reductivism and taking a tradition and saying like, okay, we took all the golden nuggets from it and now here's what we've come up with. And we've done that with all the religions and here's this new, new age religion that combines all of that. So if you do all of this, you'll definitely hit Nirvana and yay. You know, and that's so problematic because it's not a way of life. It's just chasing a state. It's just chasing an experience. Um, And I I believe that all wisdom is our inheritance as, as creatures of this earth and that we take the wisdom where we find it. And that's not to say that we commodify it and try to make money off of it because that's appropriation. But when you use it as a tool to manifest your best self in this world in service of the earth and of all creatures of the earth and of, you know, the universe, um, that's that's really using the wisdom for what it's for, um, and, and that is service. Hmm. So I see Islam as a continuation of that lineage. Um, so every day... My my day is filled with rituals that are are intended to remind me that I am this multi-dimensional being um, in this experience in this body right now, um, and that I have five daily prayers that force me to stop and recognize that that also are connected to the sun cycles and the moon cycles. And I'm supposed to witness the celestial in my in my prayers, in the timings of my prayers. And I'm supposed to wake before dawn and sleep at full dark. And, you know, there are these practices uh, of fasting and giving from my 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 wealth and my um you know, my heart and in service and all of these things that you're supposed to do that are supposed to be about your life. You know, you pray before you eat, but not just like, thank you, God, for this food. No, like, let this food be a nourishment for me to be the greatest being of service to this cre- this world, this incredible world that I happen to be so lucky enough to be a part of. Let this food nourish this body that will return to the earth. Let that return be a beautiful return. <laughs> you know, like all of it is so connected and you know, even when we go into the bathroom and, you know, relieve ourselves, there's a prayer because that that's a spiritual act as well. And, you know, the act of, of like being with your partner, that's a spiritual act as well. And like all of that, I think all of those rituals of connecting yourself to a greater a greater meaning in life is so lost in our society. And I think if a religion isn't doing that for you, um, if a if a, a way of life isn't doing that for you, then you should probably find a new one because these rituals are so important. And that's why people don't know why they're alive. You know, like I worked as a chaplain at NYU and I have a master's degree in Christian ethics. And often like the students who would come and talk to me they just lack a complete 
understanding of meaning, like why am I alive? What is the purpose of my life? Because there's no rituals to help you to understand why you're alive. Hmm. Do you think for those that don't have the background of a strong religion, like Islam or anything, which is more and more the case for Americans as they grow up, uh, what are some other ways they can find that ritual in their life? I mean, I think the, I think the beauty of mindfulness, you know, I think, I, I, and I think it's really been commodified, unfortunately, but the idea. That's what we do in America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, our corporatocracy hasn't left anything sacred. Nothing is sacred anymore, you know, and um, yeah, it's, it's really challenging because we all want more love. We all want a deepening of love in our lives. And I really believe that when we have meaning and we understand why we're alive like that, that's the, that's the key. That's the golden ticket, as they say, you know, and I'm just here for that. I'm just here to remind people that like, you're here for a reason. So figure out what your heart's goals are for this world, what you're supposed to do, because we all come with a gift and we have to figure out what that gift is. And it's always a gift of service, always. Um, And we have to figure out what that gift of service is so that we can do it. Because if we don't, you know, my friend Amir Suleiman, he talks about, um, the, the world as a, as a poem, right? A universe. And we're all parts of this poem. And if you try to be a period or a comma, when you're the word the, or you're the word a, you ruin the poem, you know, but when you occupy your own space and you be exactly what you're supposed to be in this world, which is a period or a comma or the word the or the word love or whatever it is, you complete that poem and you make it immaculate and you make it beautiful. Um, And the problem is we're all trying to be the thing that we think is cooler or the thing that we think is better instead of being exactly what we're supposed to be. I think most people would well, you know, they, everyone wants to know what their purpose is and, and live it. I think the hardest thing for a lot of folks is knowing it, finding it. You spoke earlier about, you know, listening in a sense. I mean, I mean, how, how is it for you? Like, how do you listen and, and feel like you know that you're on that path and versus doing something that isn't? I think that's a lie of our society. I think it's a lie of our age. Um that it's hard to find your purpose. And I think the machine that is, you know, capitalism doesn't actually want us to tap into our actual purpose because if we do that, we don't necessarily then serve capitalism and we don't bow at the altar of capitalism. When you serve God and you serve the divine ultimately and nothing else, you are instantly, instantly, catapulted into your purpose 
because the mm-hmm. entire, I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is a hadith of the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. This is like what he said about the world, that when you submit to the divine, the divine conscripts the entire universe to serve you and your purpose. But when you submit to the creation instead of the creator, the divine conscripts the entire universe to to stop you you know, to go against you. And basically when people are are coming up against roadblock, roadblock after roadblock, it's because they're supposed to stop doing what they're doing, (laughs) you know? It's a feedback loop in a way you're saying like the information is sort of like all around you at all times in a fluid dance. No doubt. It's, it's been coming to you since the moment you took your first breath um, because our souls are imprinted with that knowledge and we all, and that knowledge is actually, and this is hard for people because so many people don't know their lineage and don't know their ancestors and haven't sat in right. enough silence to listen to their ancestors because your ancestors will speak to you and your purpose is a part of your DNA, whether you like it or not. So it, <clears throat> it's a, it's a total lie that we don't know our purpose. Oftentimes we're just afraid of our purpose and we we actually know what it is. And we're just so afraid of doing it. I, and I've heard from so many people, um, like how did, you, you know, they ask me, how did you get the courage to just like go after what you wanted to do and growing up in a culture like you grew up in where music was forbidden? Like how did you overcome that? I think my ancestors were so loud and my heart has always been so loud and I've never, that's not true. It's not that I've never, but I've never been good at shutting that voice out. And I think some people have just gotten really good at shutting it out and just saying, well, my paycheck is enough and that's fulfilling enough. Or my life as it is now is good enough. And how am I going to turn my back on that kind of blessing? Well, if it's not your ultimate purpose, it's not a blessing. It's actually a curse because it's just lulling you into a life that is meaningless and empty. And, you know, like for some people, yeah, your purpose is to be an accountant. Your purpose is to be a janitor and that's honorable. You know, your purpose is to be whatever, a CEO. Like I I feel like that that's real and that can be true. And I'm not it could be, yeah, it could be yeah, anything. Yeah, I'm not right. saying that people's jobs are wrong because they're not connected to their ancestors. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is when you're not serving your purpose, you know it and you feel it. And you feel um, unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And you feel untethered. And and oftentimes what I've what I've received from people over the years is that they feel like their lives have served no purpose and no meaning and they feel like they're going crazy. Um, and the only way to stop that is to then sit in silence and figure out what your purpose is because deep down we all know it. We all, all know what it is. Even if it's an abstract idea, an intangible idea, like, Think about how many people have like digital jobs right now and how many people 10 years ago, their jobs didn't even exist, you know, but we've created this world where if you dream it, you can probably do it. So sitting in silence to you seems like stillness and silence being a core way 
of self-realization and getting that feedback. Uh, I mean, do you see meditation as, as, as sort of literal like that for you? As, is that the way of accessing that stillness? Yeah, Silence? no doubt. The Prophet Muhammad, before he received revelation, sat in a mountaintop cave for, you know, days at a time, months at a time. And revelation didn't come to him until he he had gone through enough of that spiritual purging that happens when you sit in silence. Um, when you're alone with yourself, with no distractions, you have to face your trauma. You have to face your mm. purpose. You have to face what the world is and what you're here to heal or serve or do or build, you know, and, and you can't help but tap into that when you peel away all of the other stuff, when you're not trying to perform, you know, when per performativity goes out the window and you're not just out here to show people how cool you are and how great you are and how you're, you, you make so much money and you're a good business person or, you know, you have cool clothes or whatever, you know, you, you get to a place of like really peeling away the layers and silence is really the only way. And, and I know people who've done it by having just like breakthroughs, you know, um, it's just like an epiphany hits them, but I feel like that's rare. And those people are actually called like majdubin in Sufism that like the divine literally like compels them into their purpose and they're dragged into it, <laughs> you know, whether they like it or not. Like may our paths be gentle, may our purpose come to us gently and may we not have some kind of like abrupt epiphany because that's painful and that's like, yeah, that's my prayer for the planet, even though it's uh, not seeming to be that way. But gentle power, you know, gentle transformation. Yeah, tender. But it is somewhat human nature, unfortunately, that we sort of often need large shocks, be it divorce or bankruptcy or near-death experiences, to engender lasting change. Uh, we're stubborn in a lot of ways. We're scared. We're scared to to hear and to take that leap like he said, or to, especially when we're in cultures, we grew up without that connection to our past or ancestors or religion or a tradition bereft of ritual in our lives and inundated with, God, these days, just constant information and entertainment and distraction and misinformation. Uh, it's, it feels like a really unique situation that we find ourselves in, particularly in the West, of our own unique problem of being lost and kind of like you're talking about the capitalism and the way or this this corporate system that's in a sense trying to trick you all the time and sell you things all the time and there's just a lot of charlatans out there and snake oil and bullshit about that's just not it's it's candy right and but that's the easiest fruit from the tree that we often find and I know people are quite hungry for real authenticity and meaning. Um, yeah, but the question isn't, you know, are people hungry for it? I think the real question is, are people willing to put in the work? And that's... Th that's the only way, I would say. Yeah, yeah. The path. The path is, is beautiful and it takes all of your attention and it takes all of your intention. And... 
so many of us are just not willing to give ourselves over to it completely because we assume that if we forego our power, that we become powerless. When in reality, the spiritual law tells us that when we forego our power to the creator of power, we become the most powerful. And that, you know, like I'm somebody who doesn't believe in the laws of time and space because I come from a tradition of people and stories and real life beings who walk a path that is unrestricted um, and where they can be in two places at once, where they you know, can speak any language that it comes to them. And these, these realities, and we call them karamat, that they're gifts from the divine, but that when you bow to ultimate power, you become a free agent, you know, like if you think about the matrix and, you know, you, you, you free yourself from the system, you actually don't lose power. And that's what I think people don't understand is they feel like they lose something. Like for me, I think what's very difficult to relate to a lot of people, they, they see me in my hijab and they see me as having given up something that I've given up me showing my hair to the world. Right. Like, yeah. Tell me more about that. Cause that, that's a common. Yeah. And they see me as like a press that a man is forcing me to Mm -hmm. do that when I see this, like, like I can't even explain to you. Only a woman who wears hijab can actually explain to you the, especially one who's connected to the tradition in a spiritual sense is like the liberation that comes from giving yourself over to a power greater than yourself. You attain absolute freedom. You know, and I, I mean... I mean that literally and figuratively. I mean that emotionally and spiritually. I mean that physically and socially. That like one example would be that if if I so choose to not be bound by the beauty industrial complex that is hell-bent on selling me the newest foundation and the newest cover-up and the newest eyeshadow palette, like I actually for the most part, opt out of that world. Like me and my husband were talking yesterday about the world. And what's common is that, you know, you go out and you get your manicure every week and you get your hair cut and dyed and, you know, you follow the trends and you get your balayage or I actually don't even know what the latest thing is, but, you know, you get your... And like, if you're not doing that, you're not taking care of yourself, you know, and these are self-care mechanisms. And actually like, they're oppressive. These systems of oppression look very nice and they look beautiful and they are about beautification, but they're just about beautification of the body. And I'm interested in a holistic approach to beautification, you know, is my, am I doing as much work on my internal life as I am on my external? Like, yeah, I'll buy the new foundation or the new organic moisturizer or whatever it is. 
as long as I'm also going to therapy, as long as I'm also doing the work with my teachers, as long as I'm also sitting in meditation and in silence in the same amount or even more than I'm spending at the nail salon or the hair salon. So it has to be a harmonious exploration. Otherwise it's, it's moot, you know? Um, and I don't believe in pure physicality. So, you know, like, like I was talking about people who can bend the laws of time and space, you know, like that for me is the perfect example of like what happens when you decide that you bow to the altar of the one instead of society, you know, instead of people and our the systems we've created for ourselves to govern us and um yeah, like that that's what I'm most interested in. Can I ask you about um I'm thinking about like parallels like f- when Christianity and sort of its ideals or even gnostic ideas and then all the way to like fundamentalist modern Christians um, and all the things in between that have happened over time. And then the little I know about Islam, um, I understand what you're saying about the hijab being sort of like this holistic tool and piece for your own liberation and also a ritual in itself. And that's not in conflict for you personally as a feminist. It's actually quite the opposite. Um, how do you feel about like the burqa or, or are there ways that hijab, if like you're, you're someone who has this holistic view, I mean, you're so awake about your process and how it fits into the world and your spiritual life. Um, do you think that's necessary? Like, do you have to have that consciousness in order for the hijab to be that sort of positive conscious tool in your life? Yeah. So, I mean, religion is notorious for weaponizing for being weaponized by power structures that are very interested in calling themselves the name of that religion, but not actually, you know, performing the the necessary actions to be that religion, to be that thing. So a lot of governments, for instance, call themselves Muslim, call themselves Christian. You know, like the U.S. is a Christian nation. Mm but we suffer mm-hmm. some of the highest rates of like um, domestic abuse in the world. You know, um, we like maternal mortality rates are so high in this country. And that's because we don't listen to women. And that's a, that's a global crisis that we face as a human family. We share a global crisis as a human family. And that is toxic patriarchy and toxic masculinity and masculinity is sacred it's a sacred energetic force in our world that is so necessary to our world um but it it can't dominate you know it can't take over and when that happens you see you see disharmony in the world and what happens is that religion is weaponized by governments that call themselves that religion. You know, like the U.S. calls itself a Christian nation and God we trust. Um, 
And if we think about the legacy of this country and like what we're not that far removed from is slavery, chattel slavery. Um, and that was, you know, something that good Christians believed was okay. And that wasn't that long ago, you know? So when you think about things like that, it should put us in the mindset of understanding that just because someone calls themselves something, just because somebody says that they're something doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're in the work, <laughs> you know, that they're actually applying the tools that they have at their disposal um, to be that thing, you know, like you were talking about charlatans and snake oil earlier. We live in a global crisis of that, you know, we live in a world that like these masks, um, you know, and they are falling away. And I'm so grateful for that. But also it's creating a lot of feelings of anxiety. And that's a global crisis that we're facing right now. So many people are experiencing heightened levels of anxiety. And so many people are experiencing panic attacks for the first time. And um, and that's because these systems are falling away and the masks are falling away. And we're able to point at something and say, oh, actually, that's you know, that's not an Islamic practice to force a woman to do anything is <laughs> un-Islamic actually. Um, and so stipulates the Quran. And there's a, there's a verse that says explicitly that there can be no compulsion in the tradition. And that if you are compelled that, you know, I mean, and it, actually that you cannot be compelled and that to be compelled is 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 void, you know, that is outside of the tradition. So, you know, when I see laws like that, I don't see it as Islam. <laughs> you know, I, I see it as um a weaponization of 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 something that they're calling Islam, um, a facade. It's a it's a usage of something that is spiritually potent and powerful and saying like, here we are, we're going to, we're going to tell you that you have to do something and it's for your own good and you just have to trust it. That's not how spiritual awakening and liberation happens. <laughs> you know, um, that's not a reality of our world. So there has to be choice. That's a, ma a major element of, of the spiritual path. You have to offer yourself up to the divine. And you have to choose to do it. And that's what our lives are, is a, um, a, a series of events that are getting you ready to, to ultimately offer yourself up to the divine, period. Mm -hmm. um, and all of our life lives and all of our life's experiences are simply a means to get you closer to the, to the divine, to the creator. And... The more you see it as that, the more it's like, you know, Ram Dass talks about the cosmic comedy, you know, like the more you see it and you're just like, wow, this is hilarious. I can't believe I didn't see it before. And the more you witness it, the more you become a part of the conversation instead of like witnessing the conversation, you know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard people um, call it witnessing, you know? <laughs> Sounds like a lisp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's cute though. 
Do you think religion is necessary to walk that path or at, le- at, a, at a minimum, maybe an advantage, a major advantage to you? Or, or can it be done these days without it, kind of forging your own or making your own? I mean, we live in a time where we're so lucky to have access to the world's wealth of spiritual traditions and spiritual practices that we can have the option to um, utilize for our self-actualization in service of the world. Um, But again, the problem isn't our access. The problem is in our fear and our society telling us that we actually don't need it. You know, you can just figure it out by yourself. That you can just like light a bunch of candles and figure it out. Like if it's laid out for you, like if, I'll give you this example. Okay, you order something from Ikea and you're just like, let me just throw these instructions away right quick. And there's like 700 pieces. And you're like, how do I, how do I put this? Let me just figure it out. I'm just going to figure it out. You know, like probably there are some people who are adept at that and can do that. I'm not that person. <laughs> like if there's a shortcut, if there's a manual that can help me to a- arrive at my goal, which is the divine, which is enlightenment, which is gnosis, I'm going to take that every time. <laughs> like why not? You know, um, and it's like somebody on Instagram wrote one time, like, it doesn't matter if you have someone's recipe, like you don't have their hands, you don't have their water, you don't have like the fruit and the air in their house that they're breathing. Because when I make my smoothie compared to the smoothie that I buy at that place, like it's not, it's, it's not similar at all, even though I'm using the exact same ingredients and the exact same proportions, you know, and it's just like this thing happens where like it's it's impossible to to copy you know so even if you are following a religion even if you are following a tradition you have to make it your own you have to choose to allow it to penetrate and permeate Embodied. your entire yeah. being mm-hmm. and it has to become a part of you otherwise critical thinking goes out the window and that's when people get abused that's when, you know, spiritual abuse can happen. That's when like guru culture becomes toxic, you know, because you have to have this tradition that is yours and is speaking to you directly. Like in Islam, we don't believe in a hierarchy of authority. There's no priests. There's no, um, like it's you and God, period. There's nobody, there's no inter, what's the word? Intercessor. I think that intermediary. Yeah, there's no intermediary between you and God. It's just you and God. And through your heart, like God says that in a hadith Qudsi, Allah says that the entire universe could not contain me, but the heart of the one walking in the path can contain me. And for me, that's just like, first of all, whoa. Like, what is it about the heart? you know, this spiritual organ that's not necessarily physical, but is physical, you know, is like a, like we talk about our minds being separate from our brains. That's how you have to think about your spiritual heart and your physical heart, you know? 
um, like your consciousness doesn't necessarily exist inside of your brain. I actually believe that exists inside of our hearts. Um, and that when our hearts stop beating, we stop being alive, essentially, you know, our, our brains shut down and our lungs shut down and the rest of our bodies shut down. And that's because the spiritual heart and the soul and the heart itself is where our, our essence exists. It's the central focus point. And when we're not in the work of listening and being connected to our hearts, we're not actually doing religion right. We're not actually walking the path because the path tells us question, wrestle, you know, discern, um, be somebody who's engaged in like, you know, observing the world around you so that you can be the best part of it that you can be and understand your integral part. Yes, we're small creatures and yet we're so big, you know, in the story of the universe. Like think about humanity and think about your yourself. You know, the conversation of the microcosm and the macrocosm. You know, uh, Ali, the cousin of the prophet, um, he said that we contain the entirety of the universe within us, you know, that while being the microcosm, we are also containing the macrocosm and that those conversations are eternally and cyclically happening all at the same time, you know, and yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, for myself, I don't have a religion that I grew up with or that, carries me through my day-to-day life. I've certainly experimented and, and with several in my life, but music became my own path as a form of meditation, as a form of that feedback loop of understanding, of being in the cosmic ocean, of hearing, of listening, and allowing something larger to feel that it could be expressed through me. And creativity in itself I think is is something really sacred and special in that way for a lot of people because it, again it's be, can be beyond mind and can allow for the heart to speak through and music for you I mean that's what, one of the reasons we're talking initially because you've used music and you use it as a way in your own life to talk about some of these themes that we've been discussing and express yourself and as a form of activism um we didn't even really get into any of this stuff about music, but I'm I'm just curious. This is kind of practical front. Are you a producer? Are you are you writing the music? Are you getting your hands in there and and creating the the tracks? Or what's what's it look like for you when you make music? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a household where music was forbidden, so it's all very forbidden. Yeah, there's an entire conversation about music and it wow. leading to like you know, lewdness and evil and how it can be definitely used as a, as a tool, um, for evil. But I believe that like anything, instead of just saying that this thing, I mean, anybody who's really studied the tradition understands that that's a, like a terrible reductivist attitude towards what was actually said in the tradition. And that you don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know. Um, that happens a lot, yeah. As you we reinterpret words and translations, yeah. And, uh, 
there's these intellectual arguments about what it means over thousands exactly, of years. Exactly, exactly. And so I, I, as somebody who has studied the tradition, um, it, I don't believe that music is forbidden, but it just means that I didn't necessarily grow up learning music or knowing music or mm-hmm. understanding it. But in my heart, mm. I always had melodies and beats and drums coming through. And I'll yeah, say. and so... <laughs> I'm just now in a place where I have a little, you know, drum kit and beat pad where I'm getting a little bit more comfortable and creative. Um, my song lifted, you know, I, I just had my second baby. I was in the midst of grad school and I was drowning. I could, I can honestly say that I really didn't, I couldn't see the shore. Um, and postpartum depression was so intense for me at that time and this melody came through and the melody really healed me and shook me and woke me back up and said that if you want to get out of this you can but it's going to take x y and z (laughs) and you have to try you have to work with us you know all of the angelic beings that are always on our side helping us. Um, The melody that came through was so healing to my heart. Um, The melody just came through so strong um, and healed me. And I knew right then, then that was, that was like, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, you know, that music was, was going to stay a part of my life, no matter what else I was doing. Um, even if it transformed itself to look one way or another. But um, yeah, I love the process of creating and working with melodies and drums and beats to produce something that is connected to people's hearts, connected to their spirits, and ultimately is healing. So much hope for the world, so much worth dying for, even more worth living for. Balance is imperative, a liberating narrative I see. building bridges between something uh, ancient and bringing it into this new world and with all the contradictions and truth along the way. It's, I really honor you for that. And thank you, you know, for being bold and being, singing your own truth and doing it in a way that's your own voice. And I'm sure <laughs> as I read in some stuff about you that it's going to stir the pot, but that means you're doing something right with your art. I hope so. <laughs> All we can do is do our best and, you know, pray that God uses us in the ways that are beautiful and healing. And even if God is using us to trigger people, like that can be good and useful too. So it's grist for the mill. And 
it sounds like, you know, you're having some fun along the way, which is a good sign. Well, gratitude to you for what you do and sharing these stories that you share. And thank you so much for letting me come on your podcast. Yeah. Thank you for speaking about um, such personal subjects and nuanced subjects with such honesty. And it's, it's helpful for me. Um, how can How can people find your world best? I would say I'm most active on Instagram. Definitely. Um, I just made cool. a TikTok, but yeah, it's the most, Uh-oh. <laughs> I know, watch out TikTok. It's the most Mona on Instagram. Well, there it is. Thank you so much, Mona, for joining us on the podcast. I had a really good time talking to her and I hope we can do it again. This song that you are listening to in the background is called Hijab, Wrap My Hijab. So Uh, Check it out in full fidelity. Check out all her new stuff. Uh, It's cool that we got a little peek into some of her new stuff there with that song, Lifted. Um, But yeah, I'm so, so grateful we could do this. If you do like this podcast, please give it a review. All you have to do is, uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can, at the beginning there, you can scroll all the way down, hit the five stars right now. You can give a review. If you want to, if you've left a review in the past, you know what? That's okay. You can leave a review again. Bannerman says, I love your music and your podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Ayurvedic Autoharp, you've given reviews before and you're doing it again. Thank you so much. He says, so generous and loving of you to share with us about the passing of your teacher, Krishna. It was an especially touching podcast to hear on Christmas Eve with love. Ayurveda Autoharp. You're welcome. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Listen, you guys, keep walking your walk. I will see you soon. Thank you for sharing this podcast, uh, for spreading the good word. Keep walking it, doing it, seeing it, loving it. Peace. And do it with grace. So even if you hate it, I still rap my hijab. Rap my hijab. Rap my hijab. Rap, rap my hijab. Keep swagging my hijab. Swagging my hijab. Swagging my hijab. These mixtures, these hippies, these prissies, these sufis, these dreadies, these sunnies, these shiris, Yemenis, Somalis, Lebanese, Pakistanis, these Sudis, Sudanis, Iraqis, Punjabis, Afghanis, Yazidis, Khadijis, Indonesians, Egyptians, Canadians, Algerians, Nigerians, Americans, Libyans, Tunisians, Palestinians, hidden beyond the Mekong and Laos, Senegalese, and Burkina Faso. So right.